0: That is Providence, Pawtucket radio. No, no, uh, Providence peanut butter radio. How about that? There's no, there's no peanut butter company in Providence though, so it doesn't work. Teddy's is in Massachusetts.
1: There's the Virginia and Spanish Peanut and Nut Company in the West End or in the like Elmwood area. I don't know if they make peanut butter. I just know that's where I always turn to get to go to Upsara.
0: I'm sure they, they must make peanut butter. They have to. It's the Peanut and Nut Company. Uh, thanks for tuning in. We have um, shirts coming soon. We have them. We just need to, not necessarily us, but we need to find models, appropriate models, and then we have to post them up there. Uh, the easiest way to do it without us creating a store, which I hate, it's very impersonal, uh exchange of buying goods if you create like a uh big cartel site or something is we'll have it on the patreon page uh and i believe on patreon you can opt to just do a one-time payment if you don't want to be a monthly subscriber so you just do a one-time monthly payment i think it will probably be like the twenty dollar option and then that will prompt you to give us your address we'll ship it to you along with other goods uh Patches, stickers, masks, whatever. Yo, the it is.
2: shirts are awesome. I got the green shirt. It's got. What color is the uh, ink on it? Lilac. Lilac. Fucking lilac. It's soft as hell. Fits great. Uh, got a bunch of comments on it. People love it. It's got a turtle on it. Turtle was drawn by children. It looks fucking great. Um, we also have it in red and black. The red ones are the cutoffs. Yeah. Right? Tank tops.
0: Yeah. We got some tank tops for. All you tank top enthusiasts. Yeah, you know, if you say, fuck sleeves, we rock with you. Shady so. B. It's the Shady B style. True. It's the Shady B style. Yeah. So Shout out to Shady B. I don't know if he still listens, but... Buy your drug dealer a um, PLR tank top. That's it. Evan, can can you repeat the story of the source of the artwork on it?
1: Uh, I am a teacher, a substitute teacher, and I work uh, every week at the same elementary school in Providence. And uh, in a fourth grade classroom, I had them, we were talking about endangered species uh, for their science lesson, and we came across the spotted turtle of Rhode Island. And it's a really cute turtle. And a bunch of the kids decided to draw the turtle. And I told them, if you guys want, we can put this on a t-shirt design and the money will go to a charity and they said well what kind of charity and I said well what do you want and they said what is there and I named a few saying you know these people help out folks who don't have anywhere to live these people help out you know gay people these this group helps out animals you know whatever and the kids said they wanted the gay one so we are partnering up with Youth Pride. In Rhode Island, to uh, give them the money. So if you buy a shirt, that money will go to Youth Pride, and I get to report back to my fourth graders and let them know how wonderful their uh, what is it their their uh, contribution has turned out to be.
0: Their mutual aid and uh, babies
1: first mutual aid.
0: We will have Youth Pride on the show. Not today. Today we have. Uh, the mental health, the mutual aid mental health people are on, um, but we're gonna have youth pride on, uh, uh, in maybe next week or the week after. I don't have the calendar in front of me, but they're somewhere on there. So pick up a shirt when you see them out there, uh, and then I'll I'll see you on the street wearing a PLR shirt, and I'll know that you and I. Whoever you are, listener, we'll get along. You know what I mean? Not necessarily just because you bought something from us, but because I know your politics then, and you're wearing a turtle. I got a lot to talk about. I like turtles a lot. Yeah, turtles are great. I own a turtle.
1: This is the turtle shell.
0: Mm. We do. Yes,
2: we recorded in the turtle shell. It's a Russian tortoise, and its name is Miko. I had a red-eared uh, yeah. slider
1: named Oliver.
0: Oliver's a good name for a tortoise. Mm-hmm. I had a Russian tortoise named Czar.
1: Of course he did. Yeah, he
0: was, he was. It's not surprising if you know Alex. He was the czar of the Tortoise World.
1: It's interesting that you need Tsar and not like Bolshevik or something.
0: Oh, hell no, that wouldn't be a cool name. A bullfrog Sorry. named Bolshevik would be pretty funny. Oh, <laughs> yeah, actually that would be kind of cool, Bolshevik. Mm. Uh, so where do you guys want to start? There's a lot going on in Rhode Island politics. Uh. I thought in passing, we kind of had this exchange last night of possibly bringing up the... Well, first of all, this week, the state uh, Senate and the House are uh, legislating on body cameras for police officers. And we, have, we have brought this up before, uh, and there's not really much that we can tell you to do from now until then.
2: Um, well, by the time this episode comes out, the window of opportunity to sign up to talk against this is gonna be extremely small. It's gonna be at 4 p.m. on Sunday, which is uh, today, so you will not get the chance, if you just hear about it through here, to sign up and talk about it. However, let me tell you that you probably wouldn't have made a difference in the situation anyway. Um, (laughs) The amount of people that want this are just, you know, a quick list. Uh, McKee, um, the Attorney General, uh, Shikarki, Senate President Rogerio, um, Acosta, you have the representative Joe Batista, the president of the AACP, John Vincent, basically everybody um, has been working on this for a year and if you were to look at this whole situation about how Providence has dealt with police over the past year and how tensions have really kind of bubbled up and created a lot of stresses in, um, in our everyday life with all the protests that we've had all of the um, terrible interactions with police that certain people have had, um, you could see that this is a solution that they were definitely going to throw at us is body cameras. This is a way for them to try to legitimize the relationship between um, the police and citizenry. They believe by casting a light to record um, the interactions that police have with people, it'll kind of make police more trustworthy. And there are a lot of studies that have been done on this. Um, They found that citizen complaints have gone down with body cameras. That's mainly in my opinion because police tend to behave better when they know that they're on camera. Um, They found that police were more likely to interact with people when they were wearing body cameras. I think that having a body camera made them feel a a little bit safer in some kind of way when they interacted with people. So I think that this will create opportunities, more opportunities for police just to you know fuck with people in general. Mm -hmm. They found that over 90% of the time, what they used on camera was against people and not against police officers. It was under 10% um, of the time the footage was used to prosecute a police officer instead of a citizen. And they have the
0: ability to turn those cameras off.
2: So, this is another thing I want to talk about. I have fucking. So, according to this article that I read on Uprise, which is the most recent that we have on this, they're going to be talking. Um, the police, the Rhode Island Police Chiefs Association, the Public Safety Department, they're all going to be talking about how to use these cameras and you know how do, we, how do they operate ethically with these cameras. Now the answer to this is something that I've been talking about forever. It's this um, Law Enforcement Integrity Act that was put out at the same time as the repeal of the Law Enforcement Bill of Rights um, legislation that was put forward. And this act does everything. It bans chokeholds, it bans police from firing Mm. non-lethal riot um, munitions at people. It also bans a whole bunch of things that have to do with body cameras. One of them is police are not allowed to tamper with the body cameras. If they do tamper with the body cameras or turn them off, they can be up for termination. Another thing is that every time a police body cam video is used, in a, uh, in a court against a police officer, it has to be released to the public in under 21 days.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And lastly, every time a police officer has any kind of interaction with someone, they have to turn the camera on unless it has to do with personal details f- with the police officer. So if the police officer was talking to his wife or his husband or whoever, they have to turn the camera off mm-hmm. or they can if they want. But if they're doing anything involved with their job, it has to be on. And if it isn't on, it has to be proven. So this uh, Law Enforcement Integrity Act creates all of these penalties for fucking with, um, with the cameras, these body-worn cameras. And the body-worn cameras are gonna happen. This is all part of a program yeah. that's been researched by the Attorney General's Office and uh, the Rhode Island Police Chiefs Association. This, is, this has been in the works for a very, very long time. Um, so it's important to pass the Senate bill um, S0597 put forward by Senator Acosta, Mac Anderson Calkin, Coleman, and Mendez right now it's in the Judiciary Committee and the Judiciary Committee is headed by um, these two pieces of shit uh, Senator Archambault who I know very well because he blocked me on Twitter because he didn't like what I had to say <laughs> and the reason that he's such a punk ass is because he is a uh, ex-police officer from Jamestown he was there from 1998 1998 to 2003 and the chair is Cynthia Coyne who is a state senator from district 32 and she was a state trooper um, in 1985 to 2006 Rhode Island State Police so these are people that are probably not going to bend over backwards to hold the police accountable in any kind of way so when this bill comes up S0597 there needs to be noise to get it passed. Because yes, the repeal of um, the law enforcement bill of rights is important. But what's important with that is also what we hold them accountable for, not just that we right. vaguely hold them accountable. You know, passing that isn't gonna fix all these problems of um, uh, police behavior mm-hmm. that that's very detrimental to people on the street and, you know, in their lives. So there's no attention on this on this integrity act i don't know why this answers a lot of the questions with body cameras and other problems that we have with the police in rhode island and also if this is ignored and they just use the, if they just go to the uh, public safety department and they t- and they have like this new um committee on how to work with the police with body cameras and that kind of thing it will not have as severe penalties as this integrity act entails this integrity act entails things like firing them for fucking with the camera
0: yeah, I think, I think what we're like dealing with here is first of all the the passing of the body camera legislation, as itself, yeah, seems like a an excuse to allocate funds to the police. It's gonna be three can, million dollars that they can mask as body cameras. But well, they
2: probably will use it as body cameras. But if this works, this will just be a way for them to say, hey, we're legitimate. Yeah. And then they're gonna ask for more money for other things too.
0: And then B, it seems like these politicians just think that if the cameras are there, then that means that accountability will show up by itself Uh, so but when it comes to like actual accountability like I don't know reprimanding police officers when they behave out of line or even like defunding the police as a way of uh, guaranteeing accountability that's where they stop short right so they'll do these like yeah body cameras that sounds good that will that will keep them in line but like it's amazing that that's how they feel about the police uh, but they're certainly more willing to go more—I uh, don't know the word—capricious measures with, like, homeless people, for example. They—they uh, will—they will, they will uh, whip the hell out of homeless folk uh, to get them in line, to get them to do what they want to. Literally take away their house from them. Uh, but when it comes to the police, it's like, oh, let's just try this and see if it works. Well, and the
2: political apparatus doesn't want to give up any kind of power, and that's solidified by having the police so them defunding their only defense from the people is that's not gonna happen so this is a capitalist solution a materialist solution. and all of
0: them are ex-police officers too if you think that a police officer an ex-police officer or current whatever uh, whatever it would that it would ever be in their interest to like punish or hold their fellow police officers accountable you're a fool. Like, it doesn't matter if current, past, or future police officer. Uh, they don't have other police officers' worst interests in mind. They only have their best interests in mind. Uh, and that's how it's always going to be. Yeah. I mean, uh, the, 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 uh, the stuff on the body cameras is also in the proposed 2022 budget. It says, uh, I, I'm just glancing at this. We're going to be going over it for the next however many episodes, because this is for 2022. But part of it is uh, funding for the new state police barracks is in the budget in addition to spending on statewide body-worn police camera system. So the difference between Providence and then statewide, again, just an excuse to allocate millions of dollars to the police without saying directly that it's for uh, increases in pay or adding barracks to the state. Uh, They could just say, oh, it's for body cameras. It's for accountability but it's only a fraction of it. Which
1: is not what anybody asked for. We are asking for no police, but they are trying to toughen up the police. Actually, uh, if I may segue into uh, some other topics here, Uh, I want to talk for a brief moment about the Wilson Street uh, encampment uh, for... Folks, it's a you know it's a set of tents, and they built a, this gorgeous garden. They've got like shower facilities and everything. Uh, Damila Almonte has been doing a great job, uh, kind of regulating and keeping keeping people not housed but like tended at least you know off the streets in a vacant lot that no one is using. Um, but they're getting harassed, and there's been an eviction order uh, by the mayor, Mara Lorza. And it's just it's it's not cool so uh, what we as people can do is harass the the city back and remind them that there is a homeless bill of rights that uh, it is their job to respect so I would look into that if I were you there are phone numbers you can call their email addresses that you could email um, all of that information is available online I urge you to look into it to see what you can do. Um,
0: God forbid you offend the gentrifying forces in the city of Providence.
1: I know. I know. I saw there's a great comment. I'm not gonna out the person who said it, but uh, there's a great comment in a Facebook group that said something like if one more person talks about noise in town, I'm gonna show up in a $13 coffee spot and start swinging.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one. Yeah. So, yeah, you're right. I mean, that... that, And also, God forbid that anybody uh, live somewhere and not have to pay an exorbitant amount of price to do it. No. It's all related to it. That well, plot... Oh, I'm sorry.
1: No, I mean, you can go ahead. I was just going to bring up um, some points that you could uh, I- express or, you know, uh, use... When you're when you're speaking up in support of the encampment, is say, uh, yeah, you gotta stop harassing people, but you gotta give us a solution instead of just trying to kick these people out. Um, remember that shelters are full right now, and we need to be working. By we, I mean you, the government, need to be working uh, towards getting these people in some kind of temporary shelter, uh, or per- ideally permanent housing. But, they need
2: permanent
1: housing. Yeah, that's what they need. There's so many abandoned spots in town that could easily be turned into affordable permanent housing for people. But instead, it's just going to sit there, boarded up, or it's going to get turned into yet another coffee shop or, you well, know, whatever. Some shit we don't need.
0: Let me tell you that in the 2022 budget, there is a call for affordable housing and the creation of. A housing czar as a position, uh, somebody that will regulate the construction of these houses uh, with a convenience tax on properties worth over $600,000 in this new pay-for-success program, which I imagine we'll probably get into in a later episode. But basically, it's the same thing. It's creating, quote, affordable housing without actually guaranteeing that you're going to give anybody the opportunity, a real... Legitimate opportunity to live in those affordable houses. Uh, it's not, it's not housing that like, hey, you can stay here uh, while you look for a job or or while you're uh, getting money some other way. It's you need the money to get in here first, and we're gonna set a subsidized, a post-subsidized price for it. But it's still probably gonna be way out of your price range to do it. Yeah, what,
1: does affordable what is affordable even mean
0: exactly? No. I'm
1: going to start charging a convenience tax for things. When people ask me to help them with things, I'm going to be like, mm-mm, no. Unless you pay me extra for helping make it convenient.
0: Yeah.
1: It's not convenient for me to help you, so I need extra money.
0: Tax cuts. Yeah, that's the other thing in the budget was uh, uh, the House Speaker Shikarshi is not including the proposal to uh, increase taxes on wealthy income earners because he's worried that these small businesses will leave the state of Rhode Island for Massachusetts, where Aww. the tax, where the tax is the the personal income tax is literally ninety nine point I'm sorry point ninety nine percent less than Rhode Island, so not even a full percentage point more than Rhode Island, almost a full percentage, but not. Whack. Good. So. And, Whack. And it's been proven. Uh, There's an article by Andy Boardman on Uprise who proved that it's actually not high income earners that are leaving the state of Rhode Island. It's poorer people who are leaving the state of Rhode Island looking for work. Because it's been proven, various sociologists have demonstrated this, that it is more expensive psychologically and financially for wealthy people to leave a state to go somewhere else because they typically have kids. They typically have uh, property income, other like non-liquid assets involved in a state, and so it makes no sense for Shikarchi to be like. Especially for what? Not even one percent. Not even one percent difference on the personal income tax, which, like, by the way, uh, small business owners who like these politicians glorify. There's no reason why a small business owner should be taking in like five hundred thousand dollars personal income. A lot of them aren't. We've seen a lot of articles that have a lot of people struggling to make
2: any kind of um, any kind of clean break. You know, breaking even. It's extremely rare, especially now. You know, as things start to open up again, that might change. But people are really hurting right now,
0: especially um, businesses that aren't in gentrified parts of Providence. This one, so this this is a quote by Circarzi that's on UpRise. It's ridiculous. So we're we're not talking about like the people that own some of the wonderful like coffee shops that we love in town. We're talking about, uh, Shikarchi's quote is, I don't want to drive business out of Rhode Island. I talked to a business in northern Rhode Island, and they were very, very concerned with the so-called tax the rich. It was a big, large insurance company, and he's like two, three miles from the Massachusetts border, a.k.a. he's in Providence. It's a big insurance company. These are the people that are making almost $500,000 personal income just based on insurance based on charging people insurance and these are the people that Shikarchi is worried are going to leave the state and it's been proven that they don't because their insurance company is also tied in with people who pay insurance for the state of Rhode Island uh, they have families they have you know uh, probably big mansions or something like bigger houses multiple properties in the state that they rent out it's just kind of another one of those boogeyman arguments that, like, we can't tax the rich because then they're gonna leave. There's no yeah. evidence about that, um, but you know maybe Patricia Morgan can generate some <laughs> some bogus evidence if she wants to.
1: Oh, speaking of Patricia Morgan and critical race theory. Um,
0: oh God.
4: <laughs> no, no, <laughs> My blood pressure no, no, no. This time. is,
1: I know, right. This segue is gonna go into talking about Juneteenth, which was yesterday. It was observed yesterday, June 19th. Um, I just want to take one small second uh, to educate those who don't know what Juneteenth is because it did become a holiday, an official holiday, uh, thanks to Joe Biden. He's another thing that nobody asked for. We asked for, you know, abolition of police. We asked for a lot of other stuff. We Nobody asked for Juneteenth to be a, a holiday, however now it is. Uh, so a lot of white folks got a paid day off yesterday. Uh, good for them. And uh, so I just wanted to remind you that Juneteenth is not, in the same way that like if you say San Cleo de Mayo is Mexican Independence Day, it's just that's, that's so incredibly just wrong, it's just incorrect. Uh, Juneteenth is not like Black Independence Day or anything. It is, uh, it is the day that, uh, uh, in Texas, the, uh, formerly enslaved people were notified that they had not, were not any longer enslaved, and I believe it was two years after the Emancipation Proclamation was yeah, signed, so if you're saying Juneteenth is the day that Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation, that's, that is incorrect, that is inaccurate. Um,
0: it's the day that black people were freed <laughs> yes
1: that's the day racism ended
0: yeah according to Joe Biden
1: yes black people all just all of them just became totally free. Um, I mean this is a it's a revered and important and somber day for a lot of folks um, and so it's it's kind of strange that now it's a a holiday where, A lot of people who don't understand and people who like probably are racist or at least benefit from white supremacy are going to be continuing to benefit while black people are still struggling to uh, survive and to have their civil rights. Critical race theory is being banned in schools. So we can't teach about Juneteenth, but we can have the day off for Juneteenth. Um, You know, people are still dying. People are still being murdered by police uh you know all these all these other terrible things are happening but at least juneteenth is getting recognized by joe biden thanks
2: joe i saw a tweet it was um by a lawyer who was talking about how terrible it is that on juneteenth the courts are closed you know so you have all these privileged people that are going home and having a paid day off while people of color that are imprisoned right now Mm -hmm. you know don't have the opportunity to go to court to speak their case. Mm-hmm. yeah that's a good point uh, on Juneteenth. so happy Juneteenth incarcerated people who are still under the uh, the heel of systemic oppression in the United States.
1: Yeah, it would be cool if reparations could happen, but
2: there needs
0: to be structural changes to this country that makes well, yeah, yeah isn't it weird how like uh, the first term of Obama's presidency people used to refer to, Joe Biden as Uncle Joe because he was like that like stern white counterpart to Barack Obama. And they meant it like a cool thing. Like he's Uncle Joe, because I think Obama referred to him as that once. But like now it's taken on a whole different meaning. So now when I hear Uncle Joe, I think of like that shithead uncle that shows up at hmm. your at your family like gatherings and yeah. says a bunch of things that you don't want to hear. Racist Uncle Joe. So he's still Uncle Joe is just the definition of Uncle Joe has changed i yeah I have a perfect way, perfect suggestion for uh reparations. I don't think a lot of well our listeners might appreciate it, but maybe um some of our non listeners wouldn't but what if all the money that the state made from taxing soft drinks went <laughs> towards black and brown peoples in forms of reparations? That's something I could get behind. I don't know how I feel about the soft drink tax to be honest with you I, I haven't I haven't even heard about a soft drink tax. It is not happening because there's not enough people. I just read this today. There's not enough people, uh, not enough politicians who support it. But it is in the air to to have that happen. Why don't we just fucking
2: tax people that make over $500,000 a year for <laughs> right?
1: income? Man, this is what I was saying when we talked about it. I think taxing sodas is, is classist and gross. Um... And I think it's I think soda out of all the things we could be focusing on, soda just seems like such a ridiculously like minimal thing.
0: It's the paternal state. It's the same reason that they tax cigarettes. It's because there's a and banning menthols and banning menthols. This idea that like if something is scientifically proven to be unhealthy for you, then it's on the state's responsibility to make it. Make it less likely that you're going to engage in it. Uh, I do think that there is an aspect of it that is classist, but I also don't want to assume that only uh, less wealthy people consume sugary drinks. Wealthy people definitely consume sugary drinks.
2: Yeah, but but they're not hurt by this tax, right? They're not I hurt agree. by right. the tax,
0: right? Exactly. That's why I don't. I don't have like a solid formulated opinion on it. I don't know how because I, f- I also just generally support taxes as long as the money is going to the right place. But as you both suggested. Uh, taxing soft drinks is probably the last priority. It should be at least. I mean, like taxing rich people is probably number like one. They, they all sat around a table
2: and they were like, "Hey, anyone here like soda?" No. All right, <laughs> let's tax soda.
0: No, they were having like a they were having a lunch and nobody ordered a soda. Everyone just got beer <laughs> and water, and they were like, "Hmm, if you guys don't like soda, then maybe nobody should like soda." <laughs> <laughs> and then they decided to tax it. I have no idea. There's so many. There's
1: so many just gross things that people do in the name of health. You know, the the soda tax conversation between Alex and I the other day led to a conversation about fat phobia in the medical community Mm -hmm. and how doctors will just look at, you know, a fat person and be like, "All your problems are coming from the fact that you're fat." And it's like, man, that is just so uh, reductionist and and terrible.
2: Way a lot of doctors perfect. won't even go further if they just see your that's weight. It. That's it. That's all. The,
1: that's all they'll do. Mm-hmm. That's all they'll do. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, back to back to topics related specifically to Rhode Island politics. Um, I also wanted to bring up. So we talked last. I think it was last episode about the Nonviolence Institute. So they have been awarded um, a buttload of money. I think five hundred grand.
2: Yep, that was in May.
1: Um and so like I said they even though all the dudes in suits got together and were like we need to tackle this and that um they didn't really have a plan they that's all they said they didn't go any further that's all they said was like we need to do this and then they got a bunch of money for it um so the group dare dare pvd uh, they uh wrote an open letter which uh you can find online you can read it it's an open letter of community members and organizations uh, calling on the Nonviolence Institute to distribute that 500 grand um, directly to the families of people who have been impacted by the shootings that have been going on. So, so they've been, the Nonviolence Institute has been getting all this recognition for their work, but like, I don't know what, what work they're actually doing, mm-hmm. but uh, that's a ton of money that could go a long way in terms of community support and uh, the things like legal expenses and medical help that these young people could be getting, and the, I'm talking young people, like teenagers, right? So, uh, I think that it's the it's almost like I think it's the very least that the Nonviolence Institute could do. So uh, that non uh, that open letter has been has been published and signed a bunch. You could look at it. And then also, over the weekend, uh, I think Friday, there was a march put on by DARE that was the Mother's March. So it was another, like, um, you know, no more uh, investment in police and incarceration as a response to violence. So if you look at the open letter, they're calling on the Nonviolence Institute to end their relationship with the police. And yeah, there's a
2: police officer on the board.
1: Yeah, so they want to do that, and then um, uh, you could look at the—I think it's the Boston Globe. Maybe if you have a subscription to that, you can look at an article about um, the the open letter and the rally that happened. They marched to the Nonviolence Institute on Friday uh, so that they could, you know, say this is what you got to do. This is what the community is asking for.
2: Yeah. The nonviolence institute is mostly outreach services. So what they're doing is treating a symptom and not the cause.
1: Right. Yeah, they even say the the language that is used about gun violence is put on individual people, whereas uh, it's a structural and systemic issue, 100%. obviously. Of course, 100%.
0: Yeah. But they'd never say that because it would also in jeopardize their funding, which, like, a first step is making sure that, that where that money is going is transparent that, like, people can see where that money is going, which I don't doubt that, like, I'm sure the money is going to, like, some good causes, but you should at least be transparent about it, uh, at least that's my perspective, but they'll never, I mean, organizations like that are just as neoliberal as any of the politicians that are in power, so they'll never... Uh, point the finger at the system itself and be like, no, this is probably the reason why it happens. It's just those surface it's the it's the equivalent of body cameras. Right? It's like holding individual police accountable instead of holding the system accountable.
2: Yeah. Holding individual people on the street accountable instead of the system accountable that makes people be in these
0: situations. Exactly. Which makes it liberal. It's the equivalent of body
1: cameras. Man, I'm like starting to get so sick of the word accountable. <laughs> <laughs> it just, like, doesn't mean anything okay. to me anymore, unfortunately. You know, there's all there's always, like, a word that you say. You say it over and over and over and over and over, and it starts to lose its meaning. Mm-hmm. That's where I'm at with that.
0: That's what a lot of words for me. Even the word, the, I say it too much. You say booty hole a lot, too. I do? Yeah.
1: Yeah, you kind of do.
0: Oh, you're right. Damn, I never thought about that. Chalupa,
1: and it's not an English word, but if you say chalupa a lot of times, chalupa. it's like, that's weird. That sounds weird in my mouth. Chalupa, 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 chalupa. chalupa.
0: Yeah. Uh, I don't have anything else for this week. Um, I have a lot of hot takes on Twitter, though, PLR.
1: <laughs> I wish I could have commented about the Trans and Dyke March that went on on Friday. I didn't know about it until after it happened. Hello? Yeah, I didn't see anything. I don't know that. what Trans smoke signal I was supposed to see, <laughs> uh, but... It didn't. I it didn't get to me, so I didn't see it, uh, and I'm really disappointed because there, the pictures looked really cool. But maybe next year.
2: Um, there was mass arrests across different um, Cranston massage parlors. Oh, oh yes, yeah. that's true. Um, what was that about? You... Ocean State. Ass, yes, Ocean State. Um, ass. Made a made a really cool statement about it. I would recommend everyone go on their Twitter and talk to them to get the. The straight-up news about what happened and the non um the the right narrative on on the situation and not the 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 police and political narrative that's going to be fed across all the news agencies
0: so osha state asks were they primarily i don't know if you know but were they primarily like non-white owned massage parlors i think i heard that
2: they were um
1: asian Asian Here, I'm, I will go ahead and read the Ocean State A- uh, statement. statement. Uh, Arrest is never the answer to human trafficking. Ocean State A- stands with those impacted by this week's 11 arrests at local spas and denounce the increasing surveillance and punishment of migrant workers in Rhode Island working within uh, informal economies. Spa raids and arrests are never about providing various uh, resources that will help them escape the situation that was imposed on them. This is what the Cranston police chief said. And I'm very much about using whatever means possible to surveil, detain, and exploit spa workers. Spa workers involved in sex work and spa workers not involved in sex work deserve safe working conditions free from the threat of arrest or detainment. We see the carceral system as an extension of white supremacy. And as we see mounting violence against Asian and Asian American communities throughout the U.S., we urge Rhode Island to stand in solidarity with local spa workers. We advocate for migrant worker... Migrant workers' voices to be centered in what their needs are, and we will be updating when we hear directly from those impacted by this week's arrests. So, uh, if you're not already following Ocean State As, please do that so that you can get updates and on this situation. Help these and yes, exactly.
0: We're also uh, we're talking with Ocean State As right now to try to get one of them uh, to come on uh, anonymously. Uh, not necessarily to talk about that, but to talk about themselves and, and what they're about. Um, yeah, so uh, I don't have anything else for this week. No. That's all I got. We uh, The next segment of the show is an interview, um, uh, so t- tune in for that. Uh, and keep an eye out for the t-shirts, and then we also have all the other merch that's already on the Patreon uh, we were at a show last night uh, in Middleton, Rhode Island, and some people shouted out "PLR podcast." So if you're listening, thank hell you. yeah. We we I heard you. I recognized you. I think that's what my response was. I think I just said hell yeah and just <laughs> walked away. Because I, I I mean when people like will yell that at me or like or point it out to me, I don't know like how to respond. I'm like. Mm-hmm. Oh, you kind of you, you cut me off. That's when play. you gotta
2: pull a sticker out of your pocket and throw it like a ninja star. Right? I
0: had stickers with me. Uh, and then when I got in the car and drove away, I was like, damn, I should have given them. You stickers. carry around patches if someone, you know. I do, but I forget that I have them. Like, in the moment, because the pressure's on. I'm not like.
2: If you see Alex and you shout out PLR and he doesn't have stickers or patches, then
0: he has to buy you a coffee. The rule. A
1: thirteen dollar coffee.
0: Yeah. All right. Uh, wait, where do you get it? Thir- oh, Starbucks or something. You can get I, like a latte. Uh, like anywhere
2: on Wickenden Street. Yeah,
0: probably. Thirteen dollars for a latte? For a latte, yeah. All right.
2: I'll I think a regular coffee is like five bucks. So you start making that shit fancy. And I won't give you a latte,
0: lattes, but I'll give you a latte. If all
1: right. I don't have stickers. With we you. have a latte. Good stuff coming up. Stay tuned.
0: Ooh, thanks. <laughs> all right. <laughs>
1: thanks for coming back we are here with the radical mental health collective of rhode island Uh, may i believe was mental health awareness month and even though it's no longer may we're going to continue to bring awareness to mental health issues it's been a rough year so far for a lot of people with covid and other things i know that the providence community has lost a lot of people uh within the last couple of months and it's been a really hard time so I'm really grateful for organizations like the Radical Mental Health Collective. Thank you, all of you. If you'd like to introduce yourselves, I would love to find out who you are. Don't everybody start at once.
5: (laughs) Sorry, we're all bad at socializing as well, no. Mm -hmm. Um, Hi, it's nice to meet you all. I'm uh, Jill Lombardi. I'm a part of the Radical Mental Health Collective as a peer recovery specialist. Um, I'm originally from Rhode Island. Um, I've been practicing as a peer recovery specialist since 2019. Um, And yeah, I'm really excited to uh, continue this conversation and sort of be connected with all my friends that are going to be with us today.
1: Thanks, Jill. Who's next?
3: I'm Adriana Mizoraka. I'm a licensed clinical social worker, part of a collective Um, I'm working in a community health center right now. Um, I apologize because I have no voice today. So if you need me to amp up, please tell me. Um, I have been a social worker for I think five or six years doing mostly hospital or health center type work. Um, And so the collective is new to me. I'm very happy to have stumbled upon it uh, in winter, I think.
4: And happy to be here. So thanks to you guys too.
1: Welcome.
4: Okay, hey, hi, I'm Lori Thornton. I am a licensed mental health counselor. I primarily work with the queer and trans population. Uh, I've been in private practice, I don't want to say how long, um, maybe 12 years. And um, yeah, I, I'm also excited to be here and um, talk about the things uh, the collective has been doing. Um, even though uh, none of us are a hundred percent sure what other people in the collective are doing, uh, but we're just gonna we're just gonna make it happen, anyways.
1: Yeah. All right. Welcome to all of you. Can you tell us, as leftists, we love collectives. Can you tell us about how you came to be a part of the collective? Anybody?
4: Well, I I could go about how we started. Um, which I think I think was pretty cool. Um, so for years and years and years, I've been looking for something like this, uh, but kind of casually, right? Like I looked to see if anything else existed, didn't quite find what I was looking for. Um, and then I met Heather, Heather Jackson, uh just serendipi- serendipitously um through looking for an office mate, and I did with her what I do with everybody, which is just kind of say, like, here's a bunch of ideas I have. I'd love to um, get a group of like-minded therapists together to do all this, and interestingly, Heather had been thinking of the same thing for a long time, uh, and so we just kind of did it, um, yeah, we didn't uh, we didn't plan too much about it. We just kind of got a lot of people together, who had similar ideas to to just see what happened. Um, yeah, so that's that's how I became a member.
1: And uh, what is radical about your mental health collective?
5: It's client-driven. Um, yeah, <laughs> that is the most radical part about it. Uh, yeah, I think the the biggest or from what I see from attending the meetings um, is that we are all really worried about sort of personal autonomy um, and how that intersects with mental health, how that intersects with recovery, how that intersects um, with just our daily lives and how we uh, manage our quality of life. And so, um, yeah, I think that uh, that is sort of the difference between starting a nonprofit and starting a collective is that like, um, we have a lot of individual autonomy as you guys are well aware of and uh that has sort of um given us a lot of space to have a lot of projects going on um like lori said not all of us are 100 percent on the same page or wavelength with all of our projects yet but we're also operating from about half a dozen states um where you know a lot of us are working with uh the states at large in these huge systems so it's kind of crazy to Work for two weeks and then plug back in with these fine folks, um, and remember that there are people who do think like all of us. um, Because after being on meetings with like the Department of Health for two weeks, um, I am really starting to uh, lose hope. And then I jump on these meetings, and I'm like, "Oh right, we're uh, we're collective again." (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. When you you say autonomy, is that what you mean? Like autonomous from the the institutions that preside over like uh, social work in general?
5: Um, That's what I mean. Uh, That is definitely why I separated from a couple of the organizations that I had been working with for the past few years, um, is because everything is starting to become very mandated. Um, My work personally intersects with um, folks who are coming out of incarceration um, and it has been a real struggle to get folks the help they need because half of the time um, it's a judge forcing them to go sit in on these meetings, uh, meet with therapists that they did not choose. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it really strips the basis of what we're trying to do away from the client and makes it all for the, the logs that I have to sign that you went to NA at the end of a week, right? And so, I'm sick of sort of reducing folks to how many tasks they're able to accomplish in a week. Um, I, I no longer really want to like manage folks as a case. I, I kind of want to just be able to give them some resources and be able to champion them longitudinally instead of being like, well, the judge says we're here together for six weeks. You can either stay clean or I can either send you back to jail. Um, you choose. So you
1: guys, you provide services then to people
5: yes so, well we provide
4: services individually not as the collective right mm-hmm. so like i have my private practice um, i see clients not necessarily as part of us um, that said we do maintain a waiting list uh, to get a therapist from the collective um, but there's no sort of business agreement or anything like that with us we're primarily uh, like a professional organization
1: So everyone that's part of the organization licensed in some way?
4: No, go ahead, Adriana.
3: Sorry, my dog, if I'm muting, it's because my (laughs) beast is making a lot of noise, so I apologize. Um, And I missed that last part for you, I'm so sorry.
4: Oh, no, I just thought you were were getting ready to answer that question. Yeah. Um, so a lot of us are licensed therapists um, and other people who work in the mental health field. Uh, and one of the things that we're we're starting to do um, is have people right at the beginning of their career, or even people who are still in school, um, so that we can corrupt them early uh, <laughs> and we have to wait ten years to corrupt them. Yeah there's a lot of
3: choice in the collective. Also, just to, I think, just to echo the part of the radical piece, um, working in mental health, whether it's peer-based or clinician, um, it is so bureaucratic and so structured and oppressive in so many ways. And so there, there's no hierarchy in the collective. Everybody has their own projects. Um, Everybody kind of does runs what they want. You contribute as little or as much. So that is very different from any collective or group or any organization I've been a part of. Um, so this felt most unique. I don't know if anyone else had, you know, kind of similar experience, but um, as far as like mental health, I think this is unique for Rhode Island anyway, because it, it, you you do what you want. You let people know um, and it is client driven. Right. And everything is pretty transparent, like on the website or as a, as members or as clients like every it's just everything starts as a choice which can be fundamentally different from how everything in mental health field works so ironically
1: so you offer um you've mentioned there's some some therapy and then some recovery oh there's some recovery services uh is what what else is there what else does the collective offer
5: um yeah so i um have like a weird space and i have like one foot in the this collective and one foot there's a, a sister collective um just for peers and peers in recovery and stuff like that um I and mean, we define recovery as anyone who is um recovering from mental health um, recovering from substance use any it's a pretty broad umbrella term um <laughs> But yeah, um, so they're two sort of s- totally separate organizations. Um, a lot of the folks that are in the peer recovery space are um, seeing some of the therapists that occupy the, uh, this recovery, uh, I'm sorry, this collective. Um, and so they're, to, to keep it ethically sound, it's pretty separate. Um, I am in an interesting position where I am I've been certified for a few years through the state and so i'm trying to continue my education to become um a mental health uh clinician and um but i'm also in the peer space and i also hold, hold space as someone who's sort of like went through these programs and so um yeah it's really interesting to see that uh once Lori and heather sort of put this together um immediately there was a sister peer group that has been forming um and they have It's pretty much anyone who the local NA, AA, um, and just like mental health uh, recovery groups uh, don't cover. A lot of queer folks, um, a lot of trans folks, uh, non-binary folks, a lot of folks that um, are recovering from substance use, but still use um, medicinal herbs like cannabis, um, and so they're not welcomed in the NA space um, here traditionally. Um, they're starting to sort of carve that out. And so um, I get to kind of work with them and sort of like make some events and meetings. Um, we have like our whole, a whole server for them. Um, we have uh, like, it goes pretty far beyond Rhode Island. Um, and so it's really cool to be a part of that. Um, but on the other foot, I'm hopefully gonna be training with folks like Heather and Lori uh, very soon to get, um, Certified, and so it's it's been a really huge help for me through COVID to have um, sort of all this community kind of open up for me. It's made uh, I I do not do well in school, and so it's made sort of the long bureaucratic process of becoming a licensed clinician um, in much more bearable. Um, And I don't feel like an insane person for having such radical ideas um, at this point in my career. When like Lori said, I. My last uh, supervisor that for the program that I was in um, essentially told me like I was, n- I was never gonna work in this state because um, I'm much too political to be in this space. Um, and then I like, was like, I don't agree with that. I separate from you. And almost instantly I found Heather. So yeah, it's been uh, a crazy time to put all these projects together, but there's a lot happening. <laughs>
1: wow man i'm sorry you had to hear that from somebody it's so discouraging it's
5: jarring absolutely yeah um and i i just like i'm fortunate enough to like have a seat at the table um i was like one of the first cohorts that got certified to be a peer recovery specialist in rhode island and um, i'm working right now to get on the board for the state um so that we can start sort of creating some policy around this um but right now it's Pretty unregulated. Um, Most folks that are becoming peer recovery specialists are, um, like, in they they're in the NA space and like mandated to do so by someone in a program, or um, it's sort of like a training pipeline that the state is trying to create. And so, what uh, the peer collective is working on right now is making sure that they do not mandate it, that all peer services are um, at will, um, that you can choose your own sponsors, that you can choose your own recovery specialists, um, and, and that you kind of have um, your own path for that instead of um, all just being, uh, you can imagine when 50-year-old men getting out of the ACI uh, are mandated to sit in front of someone like a 30-year-old white woman, they're like, yeah, this isn't gonna work for me. Um, mm-hmm and I totally understand why. Um, So I want to make sure that I can keep referring them to the people that they want to talk to instead of having to talk to them. Um, But the state is making that incredibly difficult.
1: (laughs) I want to circle back to what you said about (laughs) being told that you were too political. I just, that's really sticking with me just because I don't know how to separate politics from like anything anymore. And as a, mentally ill trans person in in recovery, I, like, my, like, I wish my, I mean, I love my support team, but I wish they were more political, because I think it's so necessary. I think politics intersects with, like, every aspect of my life. I know
4: I'm not the only one, Mm
3: -hmm.
4: so I wish. Yeah, so, if if you don't mind me having a comment about that, um, so, Two things I want to say. One of the ways that we are radical is to try to match people up with like-minded people. Absolutely. Um, And I also wanted uh, to say about what Jillian said about politics. Yeah, I think we've all been told that either directly or indirectly. Uh, I mean, it was a while ago I was in graduate school, but um, you know, there's that idea out there that we need to work with everybody, like anybody. And I think I used to subscribe to that too. And then at one point I really thought, do I have to work with people that hate me, that have politics that are about hate, right? And, And not just in general, but as a queer person, there's people with certain politics that are based in hate about me. Uh, and I think I decided I don't, I don't need to do that. Um, and that was really uh, a turning point. So yes, even that indirect, like we all should be able to work with anybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, don't, I don't agree with that anymore. I, I'm a human, right? Like I have a, a self um, that I can't let go of all the time.
1: Yeah. Well, you're a cat person. I wouldn't say that you're human. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm teasing you. I'm teasing you.
3: I I want to follow up also on what you just said about the um. And I'm sorry. I don't think I even know your name. The holding the dog. Really <laughs> Do <Did> we introduce?
1: <laughs> yeah, that's right. We had you introduce yourselves, and we did not <laughs> introduce ourselves.
3: <laughs> I'm sorry.
1: You're a of me. I'm sorry. I'm Evan. I'm a headless person holding a dog.
3: Yeah, <laughs> I love that. Alex. Okay. I'm Andy. Thank you. Sorry, sorry, because I I will refer to you um, by name, but what Evan had said about being too political, I think um, we've heard that too much, that I think that's part of the issue in the mental health field, that we have been told that we're being too political. And so here we are in this dangerous place of oppressive mental health standards. Also, can I swear or (laughs) Um, just like the bullshit that is mental health field and how there's so many fucking parameters around everything and being walking on eggshells or being sure that you're not really, you know, including your own political beliefs in a session with a client. And like, since when is mental health, not political, right? Like it intersects at all areas of our life. So it wouldn't even like, it almost doesn't even feel ethical when I'm providing care to feel like I'm suppressing parts of myself. Mm. To not be too political or, or right like and we've talked about this in our in our um, collective meetings like we're all kind of the squeaky wheels at our jobs or have been right and that hasn't always worked out well for me but i'll continue to be so like so not being political i think is is more of a dangerous place right like it's the reason why we kind of are in i don't
5: know um not a fair, the lack of visibility is what got us here right <laughs> but, right
1: right so.
2: So you're all very political people. We are a very political podcast. And I'm looking at your website and I see that you have individual debriefing sessions for um, abolitionists, protesters, and other revolutionaries for no fee. That's really cool. Can you talk about that a little bit? How that's done?
3: Those are the vent sessions, I think, right? I think, was that um, a part of what you and Heather started, Lori, also?
4: Yes, yes. And this is one of those times um, where we don't necessarily know what other people are doing. Um, but I do know that when there were a lot of protests, we are kind of putting our number out there for that. Um, and I think that the, the phone number we have now, yeah, I'm sure that you can call that phone number for that kind of service. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just to yeah, check so, in. Yeah, so basically, you know, one hour, um, that it's not, quote, counseling, it's just um, helping somebody out if, uh, you know, if they're at a protest and things don't go well and they feel like they need to kind of talk with somebody, uh, then yeah, we're we're definitely available for that. That's fantastic, that's really cool, y'all.
1: That's a really important service. I'm really happy to hear that that is provided. Do you feel like you're mostly serving uh well actually open that up what age group do you find that you're mostly serving
5: it's pretty broad it's really broad actually uh, I, I was thinking that we were going to hit a lot of the young folks who are very active right now in this in the city um but we're like at, at least in the peer collective um like we have folks in europe we have folks um, in california um now with uh arizona right? <laughs> um we've got folks all over and the age group that like there's no age or gender it's just like wide open um and similar to the uh the trauma line um a lot of the folks i think that were calling and texting that um are either finding um, clinicians through our collective or they're getting referred to the the peer group. And um, that's been really starting to sort of uh, fill out really nicely. They have a couple of meetings a week. um, And I know I'm planning an event. Um, I'm trying to find some uh, locations around the city to host um, like a somatic summer camp. Um, And I do a lot of like art therapy. um, And so it's just like, Folks get like a mystery bag of materials. Um, we're usually doing like outdoor space. Um, it's sort of like a group therapy session, but much, much broader. Um, there's no, there's like a theme, but there's no serious directives. Um, everyone's sort of creating while they're talking. Um, and then it's just like a one and done sort of group two hour session. Um, but those have been, those were something that I was doing pre-COVID um, with a couple of organizations here in Providence. Um, specifically for um, women and queer folks um, who did not have access to uh, therapy, did not have insurance, did not have uh, um, the means to sort of have any time to relax. And so we sort of like pushed therapy and some like relaxation time together. Um, And it was incredibly helpful for me. It was incredibly helpful for the folks that participated. And so I'm, I'm really excited to kind of get that going again now that we can see people.
1: Oh my God, we're a this This sounds like such an amazing thing. I am historically an art teacher. I'm trying to go back to school for art therapy. So I'm really excited that things like that
4: are happening. That's so awesome. So well, do you want to join us? You want to come and do the thing? I would love to. We'll hey. talk.
1: We'll talk. Oh, cool. <laughs> um, so I think one of the, or my assumption at this point based on talking to a couple people and just having eyeballs. Um, I think a, one of the things that is uh, standing in the way of people getting help uh, is financial hardship, right? Yeah. Um, so what would you say to, to anybody listening who is like, man, I want help, but I don't have any money. I don't have insurance. I don't know what to do.
3: That is such a, and that's definitely something we talk about you can't talk about accessing mental health without talking about the financial piece, right? Um, so part of that answer, at least for the collective, we um, do have dues that are kind of like based on individual preference um, and ability to, um, contribute and the money in the collective goes to covering copays for people who are seeking therapy. Um, that's part of the answer. Um, the other part would be if you, so any community health centers or community mental health will always do either sliding scale or reduced fee or, or no copay. Like I know where I work, we, nobody pays, um, doesn't matter. And so finding places really, and it does take a little bit of research, I think, unfortunately, um, or finding people in private practice who do sliding scales, um, which is phenomenal. I know a lot of people in the collective do, and maybe more, you could speak more on that. Um, but it does take a bit of, of a search, if I'm gonna be honest, um, because it can be really pricey with or without insurance and it absolutely should not be, but the unfortunate reality.
1: So you sort of, you can identify or people reach out to you and then you could work with that person to identify like where they're at and what their needs are and kind of meet them there and then help them move forward with finding somebody that's good for them?
4: Yeah, and we we are offering um some potentially free services. Um, like so, even though it's not, uh, even though it's just a sister organization, you know, the peer group is something that people can access for free. Um, and I I have a group. Um, it's the acceptance and change group. It's a skills group, um, only for queer and or trans people. Uh, and that group is, if you have insurance, great, I will bill for it. And if you don't have insurance, eh, whatever. Uh, yeah. And, and I, think, I think most therapists in private practice who are in the collective, maybe not in the bigger world, um, would it, – it's like there's a tsunami of need – right so like will i see people uh for reduced price or free yes am i taking any of that on right now no because i have to get you know it's capitalist society i have to get paid for something right uh but yeah i think and jillian i was curious so for your art group is that going to be uh is
5: there a fee attached to that yeah and so that this uh this is sort of born out of that exact idea that there are a lot of folks who one don 't aren 't sure if they 're comfortable with one on one therapy yet don 't know how to access it and really just want to meet folks in this space before they kind of jump on and spend any money and so um what i 'm offering is sort of uh purely art based and i 'm not charging people 's insurance i 'm as- asking like a sliding scale for the materials um And then everything else is sort of just uh, as an introduction into what exists in peer recovery Um, instead of it being like incredibly therapeutic, incredibly individualized. um, I was working almost exclusively with folks um, on Medicaid and Medicare for the past three years. Um, Before that, I was like in college, I was very much um, like on the Obama train and like creating the database that ended up becoming uh, Medicaid. And I was like super involved in that. And uh, I am so tired of insurance uh, that I, like Lori said, I uh, if, if I can, you know, bill someone's Medicaid, awesome. If I can't, I'm still gonna provide them services anyways. Um, We have had like great opportunities through the mutual aid that the collective has provided where I've been, we've been able to like offer um, to pay for the first couple of sessions for folks to kind of get acquainted with a therapist. So it takes the pressure off of them um, financially and, and, you know, emotionally because they have a couple of, you know, they have a peer to check in with if that therapist doesn't work out, um, they didn't spend any money on this um, and they they can make like a really informed decision um, um, whether this is someone they want to trust with their work or if they want to find a new person um, and that's like we really just started that this year and it's so far um, going pretty well but um, I definitely have to continuously have conversations with folks one-on-one um, when they say like oh this sounds really awesome but I don't think I'll be able to access this like I just lost my insurance last year mm-hmm. um, and I tell them that like yeah that that this is uh, we really work on a case-to-case basis since I have not I have not met personally every person in the collective, but I have spoken to a few dozen of them, and they're all incredibly ready to negotiate um, a standard of care and whatever works, you know.
1: Excellent. So how can people get in touch?
5: Yeah, so uh, I am hoping to roll out my uh, Somatic Summer Camp stuff on the collective Instagram this week. I'm trying to, like, secure a couple of spots. Um, I got a lot of people asking me to do an event at, like, India Point Park. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm hoping that that's going to be the start, like, first week of July. We're going to kick something off with that. Um, And then that will give me a space to kind of open it up to more than, like, five people because I've been only really working with, like, one-on-one or over Zoom this entire time. Um, So I I personally am trying to uh, not burn out too quick um and trying to keep these events small and do like a bunch of small events instead of one big grand uh like we're coming back kind of thing. Um mm-hmm. but it is a slow and steady rollout. I get like a foot into planning an event and then that gets done and then I also need to check in with Heather and Lori because I'm tired. <laughs> mm-hmm. So the
3: website the, has a lot of, um, I'm sorry, Evan. I, need to cut
5: nope, off. I
1: think you were about to answer my question. Go for it.
3: The the website has a, a lot of information on, um, whether you want to become a member for people who are interested in being part of the collective or as well as, um, like client forms and figuring out how you can connect to, um, either getting on a wait list or, um, you know, benefiting from the, the mutual aid piece, you know, copay coverage or anything like that. And then the website also has, um, and the Instagram has like a link tree uh, access page also for mutual aid organizations, mental health resources, um, like tips. So I think Heather might do the website, but the website is, is pretty regularly up to date um, and has a number of resources that are on there, both for people interested in benefiting from the services or becoming members.
1: Awesome. And we and we follow your Instagram account, and I think we repost you sometimes. But would you say just for people listening, just in case they're in the car or something right now, listening to this episode and thinking, "Oh my God, I want to follow them." Will you give us your handle?
3: Yes, that's r r m h c r i. Yes, had to think about that for a second. <laughs> like, wait that's a second, and that's the website of also.
1: Of Rhode Island.
3: Yes, radical. I'm sorry, I'm. That's the website. I apologize. The Instagram is radical collective R-I. And the website is rmhcri.org.
1: Well, well, A lot well, of
3: We'll
1: definitely post <laughs> about that. Thank you. Yeah. I've been dominating this conversation, guys. You, do, do you want to say anything else?
0: No, I think that all the, the uh, core questions have been asked and answered it was a pleasure i do have some fun questions we have fun
1: questions are you ready
0: yeah uh anyone so i have some rapid fire questions the first one being pancakes or waffles
4: pancakes waffles
0: waffles i'm a a pancake person (laughs) myself
5: no you're not you're a waffle person you don't
3: even know who you
1: are anymore
5: Perhaps you need a mental health provider now. We can help you with that now. Lemon or lime? Lime. Lime. Hell yeah.
0: (laughs) Werewolves or vampires?
5: Vampires. Vampires. Wow.
0: Wow. All, right. all right. I used to be on that train, but i got converted to werewolves recently. I read a lot
5: of Anne Rice as a teenager. Yes.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm from Louisiana, so that speaks to me very <laughs> uh, well we know we know where you stand on cats and dogs. Do you have a favorite Gatorade flavor?
5: Orange. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> I answered too quickly. I should have apparently said Gatorade is not our our collective choice.
3: We <laughs> <laughs> don't drink Gatorade in a collective, Jill, okay? No.
5: <laughs>
1: no, but like, everybody's had Gatorade,
3: right? Probably blue. Is that, that's not even a flavor, It's the color. Look at me. I don't know shit about Gatorade. <laughs> no,
1: yeah, I think blue, I think blue is the most socially acceptable uh, favorite. That's
3: the one.
4: And don't say blue. Yeah.
1: Yeah, there
0: you go. Right. There it is. There it is. Be subversive. I love it. <laughs> uh, favorite ethnic cuisine?
3: Hmm. I'm, I'm biased because uh, I'm, I'm Italian. My parents are from Italy. It just
5: can't be beat. So. Well, yeah, I suppose I have to say Mediterranean because I'm Italian and sitting in Providence and they can hear me, right? So.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I... I was thinking I have to say Mexican because I'm in New Mexico right now. uh, Except it's also true. Yeah, Mexican food.
1: Oh man, I love the food in New Mexico. Oh yeah, so good, so cheesy, so peppery. I've never been. Anybody else? More rapid fire. What uh, what
3: about your favorite cuisines? Do we? Did you guys answer? I didn't hear.
1: Well, as a Louisianian, I would have Mm. to say food (laughs) or soul food. Oh.
0: Uh, mm, mm. See, I didn't expect the question to be flipped. Nobody's ever in. asked. You're, uh, yeah, so.
3: uh, well, you're in a room full uh. of clinicians. This is how it's going to yeah, go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: I guess if I had to choose, probably Indian food.
3: We mm. mm. have mm. a lot of great Indian
0: Yeah, mm. because it's so different than the other ones. A lot mm. of like, mm-hmm. sure. I'd
2: have to say, Greek food. You would. You I would. would food love food. Food. I love all the food. I mean,
3: there's really nothing I won't eat, I'm be honest. Like, <laughs> I agree. All, this yeah. food. all yeah. the
2: food. It. It's one of those pleasures in life, you know? You just got to take advantage of it. Oh,
0: all right. Uh, whiteboard or chalkboard? Whiteboard.
3: Chalkboard. taps. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so
4: efficient, Lori. Yes. I, still call uh, it I, I am, it am not efficient. No. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I can't even call it a chalkboard. I still call it a blackboard. But nobody, they don't use those in schools anymore. Everybody has they, smartboards now. Oh,
3: the smartboard. Oh, right. I think music genres. Music genres, maybe? Yeah,
1: that's us What do you listen to on your way home from an appointment? Oh,
3: depending on the day. I'm riding home in silence.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>.
3: <laughs> and then I'm like, wow, I don't remember anything from my... <laughs> 14-minute ride. Was that a red light? Like, I don't even, um, (laughs) my go-to is usually reggae
5: of any kind. It's a nice diffusing genre. Yeah, I also just listen to whatever music is the opposite of how I'm feeling at the end of what I was just doing, so if I'm leaving something super intense, I try to mellow it out. Um, sometimes they're super mellow, down session so i listen to something crazy on the way out (laughs) interesting strategy
4: Mm -hmm. yeah that's a great that's a great answer jillian you're using Mm -hmm. opposite action Mm -hmm. (laughs) i'm
5: trying trying to implore those things that they taught me (laughs) yeah
4: yeah um i i don't know my music taste is very varied and recently i um started Uh, attending to that drum noise that's like um, mechanical and tinny and so I'm trying to find all the music that does not have that drum noise in it this has been a terrible (laughs) thing for me yeah
1: well that's I mean that self-awareness is crucial though that's really cool that you can you can identify exactly what it is that you don't
4: want
5: right right. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's so, definitely like, like specific time signatures I don't want to hear at the end of a session. <laughs> I understand. Yeah.
3: yeah. Or lo-fi. I've been listening to a lot of lo-fi, you know, um without words. That yeah. is like my I'm I'm very overstimulated very easily and um I just like self managed ADHD. And so sometimes words and music is just too much, like at the end of a work day, which yeah. kind I of have, dramatic, but
1: I play those for my students all the time. Mm. Lo fi, hip hop. Very, yes, yes.
3: yep. Mm-hmm. Very soothing for it, my senses.
1: Very soothing, but it's like, it's got a good beat to it, so you're, mm-hmm. still, you're still like enjoying it, but it's not super overstimulating.
5: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, speaking of music, what have you got for us today?
5: Um. Yeah, so um, a band that I kind of grew up with, uh, Toad and the Suligans are out of Providence here. They've been together for a few years. Um. Let's see. Um, do, how do you want me or need me to uh, provide you the music? They I asked them for uh, their Bandcamp link and they haven't gotten back to me yet.
0: Oh, we um, got it. We, we yeah. It. We
5: oh, okay, did. you got it.
1: We're savvy with that. We're
5: Just gotcha. having you introduce them. That's all. Perfect.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, is there a specific song that you like that you want us to play?
5: Um, no. I'm. It's one of those rare bands that I listen to all the time, so I'm pretty down for any of their music. <laughs>
1: okay. All right. Well, we'll pick something. We'll
5: take something
2: good.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much.
2: Does anybody much. else have anything? No, no. Hey, thanks so much for coming on, what everybody. What did I say
1: about this dog? He's so thanks good. Thanks for having us. And so what's good. the
3: dog's name? The dog Pardon. didn't even get no. an introduction.
1: This dog is Ozzy.
3: <laughs> Ozzy. Thanks for having us. Also, what you guys do are great. Um, I like listening to your episodes. You're doing a lot of good work. Okay.
1: and It
3: is m- much long overdue, and I'm, I'm definitely grateful for the radio. So. Thank so Appreciate much. That.
1: We will, uh, yeah, after I hit stop recording, I need to connect with you on this uh, art art camp situation because I'm really, really, really interested and India Point is close to my house,
5: so. Awesome. This is meant to be. Well, it's great to meet you
1: all. It is, it is. Thank you. All right.
3: I'm sorry. Just one quick last thing. I I meant to mention this earlier that um, there will be like some upcoming um, collaborations with other mutual aid organizations and like fundraisers of sorts. So following the Instagram is definitely a good way to stay up to date on that because a lot of um, there's so many mutual aid orgs um, for a small city and they've been reaching out and we've been trying to connect. So just to to put that on people's radar as well. Sorry.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Guys, if you're not following by now, you should be. So get on it. Hey. Don't do it while
0: you drive. Do it. In a no,
1: no, no. Drive. Yeah, when you're when you're in a safe place, safe
2: mm-hmm. parked place. Mm-hmm. Safe parked place. All right, I'm gonna. Feel my feet start running. My beast all coming out. Grateful that I'm breathing now instead of bleeding out. This is seamless sound and hopefulness within reason. I got a feeling it's the season to reap it. Uh, friends getting benefits. Music be the medicine. Music be the medicine. using for his detriments. Super elegant. Tuned his resonance to produce it effortlessly.
1: I feel my dream turn to something I can actually hold. I hope these
2: ghosts can never follow me. Home. I hope these ghosts can never follow me home I hope these ghosts can never
4: follow me home I feel
5: the hollows When I feel my mouth start running Someone cut the brakes
2: and I'm downhill Red light And I'm downhill Green light And I'm downhill Get a little bit crazy these nights Got me enough endorphins channel Such importance that I gotta get my head right Don't let the bed bite your Bugsy. run to the light
0: when the morning comes Because, because I wanna sleep for days But I got a couple leggers in to keep the rays you just for men, I'ma keep the grays And I'm living life in a purple people haze Like I hope
2: these ghosts can never follow me on I hope these ghosts can never follow me on I hope these ghosts can never follow me
3: Ghosts can never follow me home I've got the
2: hollowest song